This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I, I, I started having these nightmares, these these dreams where I was out of ideas, and I was uh, that was my biggest fear: is are are my best ideas behind me? Is my greatest work already done, and now I'm all downhill, and I'll be known as the headlines will be Zach King, the you know uh, the guy that ran out of ideas. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. If you spent most of your time back in the day scrolling through Vine like I did, then you definitely came across Zach King's work. Zach uses seamless editing to pull off mind-bending tricks and illusions in everyday situations. His brand of digital magic made him one of Vine's breakout stars, and now he's in the top five most followed creators on TikTok. One thing that's always impressed me about Zach is not just how cool his tricks are, but how he seems to never run out of ideas, which apparently is a fear he's been working on overcoming. In our conversation, Zach explains how he keeps his creative momentum going, why limitations are necessary, and why he started revealing some of his digital magic secrets. Awesome. Zach, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Casey. No, my, my pleasure. Because, you know, I I remember, we were talking a little bit before this, but I mean, I remember you from, I came first came across your work, um, you know, on Vine, you know, RIP Vine forever and always. It's just, I miss that <laughs> app every single day. Um, but I mean, you were creating videos before then on YouTube. And so I would love if you can just sort of take me back to the start. Like, how did you find this specific lane that you're really dominating right now. <laughs> it was all really an accident. You know, people ask me all the time, did you, how did you plan this? What was this? Can we see the blueprints? Where's the, where's the napkin design from, you know, that, that <laughs> moment you had the inception of the idea. It never worked like that. For me, I, I, I love filmmaking since I, I was a young kid. I was probably six, six or seven years old when I first watched Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park and, and that, just those kind of Spielberg movies, Lucas films, even watching a lot of Alfred Hitchcock. And and I absolutely just was mesmerized, not only by the film, but the actual filmmaking process. Like I realized pretty young, obviously the dinosaurs weren't real. Um, when I first watched it, I probably, you know, I, was, I remember being terrified and I thought they were real, but I loved the fact that once I figured out what that medium was, that it was 24 frames a second, that you could add music, that you you basically pull all these amazing artistic crafts together and all this different design and, and props and and the cameras and lighting and, and you could put together a movie. And I was like, I have to make those someday. Like that is such a beautiful thing. Uh, and I love the idea that you can kind of play with someone's emotions, you know, take them on this just roller coaster of emotions from laughter to, to fear to crying. And and so that's what I was after from a, from a young age. I, I, you know, asked my parents for the home video camera. They recognized I had uh, a knack for filmmaking or a desire for it. So they kind of, I remember the, the video camera we first have, had was kind of expensive. Uh, it was probably like $3,000, you know, oh, yeah. big, big clunky thing. <laughs> in my dad's closet on the top shelf. And, I, and that's exactly where my dad's was. Actually. Yeah, I don't know, I, it was always on the, uh, up there and I, I wasn't big enough to you know get it. You put the expensive, right. I have kids now, um, two kids, so I understand like you put the expensive stuff, all my drones and my cameras and my microphones, they're on the top shelf <laughs> as well. Absolutely. But he, he brought it down one day and I remember it was, I had this huge responsibility. He said like, you can use this. And I, I was probably only eight or nine, like, uh, he taught me how to use it. It was uh, that one took VHS tape or some sort of version of VHS mm -hmm. tapes, and um, 
my favorite part was filming all week because I was homeschooled. So I would get my classwork done early in the morning, you know, maybe in three hours before lunch and lunch to one o'clock, one lunch to like five o'clock, I would make movies with my sisters. And so every Friday night I would play them. It was like my theatrical release of whatever <laughs> I made that week. And whether they liked it or not, I mean, I'm sure they didn't. My parents sat there, they applauded, they said awesome work, but they also gave notes. You know, my, my parents aren't just like pat you on the back. They were like, well, you know, like we got sick. This was too <laughs> shaky or like, we couldn't hear what you guys were saying. You need to like get the, the microphone thing figured out. And so it was just iteration after iteration all the way up to high school. And I eventually saved up for other film gear. Um, I remember I mowed like a hundred and something lawns um, and it was great, massive lawns because I lived out in the country yeah. in Oregon. So I was mowing all these fields basically to raise money for what I wanted, which is like uh, Final Cut Pro, which I think cost $1,200 for like the studio, like for the Not deep, surprised. it was a package that was big as a, a box of uh, donuts. Or two boxes of donuts. Seriously. And it, it just a little piece of it was the DVDs for the installation. The rest of it were manuals. So the yeah. thing weighed like 50 pounds. <laughs> and I remember every two, I think year or two, they would come out with a new studio package and I would save up the $1,200. And that's why I was mowing all those fields to get that software so I could start editing my videos. Um, so I, I loved, you know, editing and, and just that process of putting all those, the music, the sound, the visual effects together in one piece. Right. And I love the fact that your parents gave you notes because I think most parents would just be like, oh, this is so lovely, whatever your kids do. So it's like, oh, it's going on the fridge. It's so beautiful. But your parents are like, ah, like, you know, three stars. Like, just, it's like the a, real life, the, the best learning possible because my, my, I remember my dad would actually fall asleep if he didn't like it. Uh, and then like, that was my note. That, like if someone is falling asleep, they're not tracking. They don't care. It was not good. So we'll right. redo it. <laughs> and so I find it interesting that, you know, you had this love and this passion for, you know, the for filmmaking. And then, but now, you know, here you are making like really these like very condensed stories. So it's like, did you like, did you think about pursuing like traditional film school? Like, I guess, like, how did you wind up on this path as opposed to like being going down the more, I guess, traditional filmmaker path? So. When I was a junior in high school, I applied to a couple film schools down in LA and didn't get in. And I was really bummed because to me, I mean, this is what, you know, a lot of people don't have the luxury of knowing what they want to do when they go to college or university or when they're graduating high school. But I, I knew like a hundred percent clear, like it's filmmaking. That's all, all I can do at that point. Like I didn't put enough time actually into math and science. Like I only had one track I could do. So there I am with a rejection letter to film school. And I decided, you know, film school, I had also read on, on forums, like the conversation was uh, just starting on the internet where I could finally get some research in for like, do I need film school? And I thought, ah, no, like I'll still go down and meet other film students. So I packed up my car, I drove to LA and I still attended the university taking their general ed class, math, you know, classes to be on campus. And I met a few film students, figured out what they were doing so I could just, and eventually I, I sat in the back of the classes. You know, I, I learned pretty early that in university they, they do roll, roll call like rarely. So like you just sit oh, in the back yeah. or you just say, you talk to the teacher and like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna see if I can join, add this class later in my class schedule. And they never follow up and didn't know I was a film Not student. So all. I sat, <laughs> I sat and took all the classes, submitted my homework and all that. 
and did that for the four years until I graduated with, they gave me a film degree my senior year and they're like, oh, you're not in our system. Like we just need, what's your, what's your email? You know, I was paying for the classes, but they didn't realize I didn't get accepted or whatever. So it was around that time though, when I first got down to the school after I had packed up my car from Portland, Oregon and drove down to LA, when I was starting university, there was a website called youtube.com and, uh, and you got to remember <laughs> the space, like, yeah, but you got to remember the, 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 the environment was there was Vimeo was actually a major oh, yeah. competitor. Daily motion was a serious competitor. They flew me out to mm -hmm. France to talk about their platform. And like, so I was uploading to all these different websites. Yahoo video was actually a massive in the space. And so I was uploading what I was learning in film school to, to the websites. And, uh, I was, I was also screen recording my videos. So it was like tutorials. I was teaching final cut pro cause I had known final cut pro so well growing up in middle school and high school. And so I thought, you know, this would be fun to have a little tutorial business. It helped me pay through school. I would do upsells after I posted hundreds of free tutorials. I would do like an eight hour course and it'd be like, Hey, you want to know more like deeper dive? Here's a course. So I was shipping, you know, DVDs, like hundreds of them every week out of my dorm room doing that business while I attended the film classes and was posting on YouTube. And pretty soon, about a year after that, YouTube became the front runner. And it was like, okay, there was no AdSense. You couldn't make money from YouTube other than the DVD business that I had. But I was just, I was enamored by this community. I was falling in love with this small group. I had maybe 30, 40,000 subscribers that were filmmakers. But I started noticing their comments. They were like, hey, you're not posting, besides the tutorials, you're not posting like a narrative work. You're not posting, uh, we'd love to see, how are you using these visual effects that you're teaching us in a short film with a story? Mm -hmm. And so I took that note, kind of like I was taking my parents' notes. And I was like, you know, I can, I could do better. So this week, this Friday, I, I'll make a short film. Uh, I was going to teach the lightsaber effect. So I got my buddies, two kittens in post-production, <laughs> uh, added the little lightsabers and Jedi kittens was born. And that was my first major viral video where like, it's the kind where, you know, back then I also feel like a million views was a lot. 2 million views was like insane. You'd, right. you'd be on like the, the front of you know, good morning America at that point. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I posted that video more as like a, here's what I'm going to teach next week, but somehow it got picked up by everybody. And I, and I'm waking up to three, 4 million views. Just, uh, like, what is this? What, this is wild. Like, and then the, the question was, can this be duplicated? Like, can I, can, what, what was it about this that people enjoyed? And so every Friday, on the channel, I would post a new short film with it kind of aiming that different concept I was going to be teaching, different effect. And uh, they started taking off more mainstream. So the audience grew from this niche filmmaking community to more of a, a general audience that enjoyed it. So right. there I am, like graduating film school, and my peers, you know, my YouTube channel has grown to maybe half a million subscribers. And they just started the AdSense program. You could, maybe start making a money. It wasn't a career, but like you, you knew you could pay off your, your, your rent in LA and that right. that's about it. And maybe, maybe cover the next video's cost by continuing. But, but you know, I, I was struggling because my, my film peers, they were all going to go start their, their Hollywood kind of the 10, 15 year career up to their positions that they wanted, directing, producing, writing. And I could either jump that way and kind of guarantee and hopefully 10, 15 years put in the work. I'd be closer to the top or um, follow my curiosity and this passion of YouTube. I didn't know what it would turn into. I was really curious of what that version would look like. Mm -hmm. And at the pinnacle there too, I was offered 
uh, a really great six-figure job by Discovery. Me and my buddy were offered these jobs in Washington, D.C. to go be a producer around that time. And I was, I was, we seriously considered moving from L.A. to go do that. And it was in my last interview with one of the executives in L.A. Before we would move out to D.C., there was one last interview. And, and I asked him at the end, I was like, okay, so, you know, I'd give him the context of this is my situation. I would love to do this. But I also, like, have this small you know, 400,000, 500,000 audience on YouTube. What would you do if you were me? And he sat back and just thought, and you know, I thought he would say, well, you should come work for us. Cause, but he said, you know, I, I don't know. That's a hard one. I kind of think you, if in the grand scheme of things, YouTube could be something like this could, this is really interesting. You have your direct, what I like about it is you have your direct connection to your audience. Wow. If you're at discovery, like we have the audience control. And, and, and I was, I was, I was so thankful for it. And I've emailed him since. And he's moved on to a different job, but I was so thankful for that advice because we walked out of the, that interview, me and my buddy, and kind of decided right there on the drive home back to our house that, you know, let's not take the job. Let's see what happens. Let's play this out for a year or two and commit to YouTube. And it was actually two months later that, that Vine was already out, but I was a uh, first time I, I saw the app, I was on it two months after that interview and th that trajectory changed everything for me once again right there just i would have been living in washington dc not making vines at all wow. making a different show that's incredible so i mean because I, I was gonna ask i mean like what was it because i think for most because you're right youtube back then was not what it is now i mean I've, there was like some study done about the creator economy and they found that you know kids these days they don't want to be an astronaut they don't want to be this they want to be a youtuber they want to be an influencer and so it's like there's a much clearer trajectory for for growth and for monetization now but back then no one knew what it was it was like very much the wild west and so i'd love to hear a little bit more about like what was that what was that draw what was that pull because you know you very much because you are a very gifted filmmaker and you could have gone the traditional route you had this offer but you decided to go in this like digital creator route so i guess like what was it that connection with your with your audience like what what really was it that made you go in this direction there was something that was really intriguing and I had a hunch that it'd be really important to have access to your own audience. The fact that I could mm -hmm. hit publish and it would go out to my feed and all the subscribers would be notified. That was really important to me. And so at the time I, we were just getting early inclinations as we started to work with other brands too, doing commercial work. It was obvious that, you know, when someone else is financing the thing, you're going to have way less creative control. And in a lot of cases, I think, that creative collaboration is really important and it can bring work to be much better. And so that, that is an important filter, but for us being young filmmakers and wanting to play around and try something and not already have 18 feedback rounds on, on projects, we wanted to experiment and find our own voice in that process. So it was the direct connection to the audience that we were intrigued by. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, you know, of course the, the, your transition to Vine, that was obviously Vine was built on these very narrow limitations, like six second videos, which is which I think was such a genius move. I love that. I think that that was like to me, that was the biggest appeal of Vine is like seeing like, can you tell a joke? Can you tell a story? Can you can you make me feel something in that very short amount of time? And so for you, you know, because Jedi Kittens, not that long, but I mean, like you, you've definitely built this this really interesting brand around 
kind of telling complete stories. Like you have like a setup, you have like, you know, the trick or whatever. And then it, I think it's amazing. So, I mean, like, what have you sort of learned in this this sort of exercise of like truncated storytelling? Like, how do you sort of like conceptualize these things and knowing that you only have like a, a very small amount of time to to get your point across, really? I love embracing limitations. I think there's a lot of artists and creators who think that it's better to have an open sky, right? To be able to play with whatever you want, whatever color palettes, like grab any tools. For me, I love limitations and that's what Vine was. It When I, you know, I joined the platform and I thought, like everyone else, six seconds, like that's a joke. That's so, that's, that's the easiest thing ever. Here I am making five minute YouTube videos that were taking me two months a piece. I was like, I got on Vine and I was like, I can knock out three a day. Like this is, this is so basic, but I quickly realized how hard it was with six seconds there is a nuance to the storytelling that you do like you said have to have a beginning middle and it's a complete narrative and whether you're you're doing a joke or you're you're doing a, a surprise or a visual gag it was incredibly difficult and so I love the learning curve of it though I challenged myself for the first 30 days hey I told myself I'm gonna make one a day no matter what whether an idea is flowing or not I'm just gonna make it and post it and that iteration on Vine, I did that actually, it extended for almost the first year. I made one or two videos a day. So at the end of the year, I'd made 300 something videos and that practice was so good. And, and it was in that process of iteration that I found that vo- that kind of style that you see today, you know, on my early YouTube channel, there, there was visual effects, but it wasn't magic. It wasn't, mm-hmm. um, it kind of morphed in that first year of Vine for me creating a character of myself where I'm a regular dude but I solve my problems with magic and I have the right. same problems as you. So whether I need to, to uh, grab a taxi or I need to uh, clean up a mess or do my laundry, like same everyday problems. So it has that relatable aspect, but at the same time, it has that surprising aspect towards the end of the video. Cause you know that I'm going to do something a little bit different that I have a creative solution that you're going to watch kind of as a, as a magic ability. So that's the fun. And that's the story style and and story that developed and me being a filmmaker like I wanted to make these things cinematic but that's another beauty of Vine for me it required uh, you to shoot it in the app and we actually found a back way into the app to upload and when I when I joined a new platform now especially I think about this question of how do we make it really surprising to that platform Mm. Um, and that was that was the key on Vine a lot of people while they didn't they knew it had to be faked somehow they genuinely, for the first six months, no one else could upload, maybe a year. And they didn't realize that there was a way to hack in the back. And so it was the magical element of surprise in their feet of like, wait, how? Like we know this camera only allows you to shoot in the app. Like, how is this happening? Like, this is crazy. And, and, and that's how I approach new platforms now. It's like that question of how do we add surprise to this platform, whether it's interacting with the UI, you know, like literally popping out of it. It's, it's twisting people's thoughts of the traditional stuff they see on the, on the feed all day long. Right. But the limitations are huge. You have, to, you have to set them for yourself, too. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we're back, Zach's going to explain how he keeps his creative momentum going. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home Internet. Find the plan that's right for you at Verizon.com. 
You mentioned that it was really on Vine that you developed this sort of alter ego of yourself, this, you know, this regular guy who lives in a slightly heightened sense of reality, or he's the only one because everyone around him can't do what you can do. So, I mean, how did that come about? Because, you know, I think it's because you, you've, you've, you've expressed, you know, your love of filmmaking, but there is this, you know, you're really known for these like, you know, digital sleight of hand, digital, you know, illusions and things like that. So like, how did that really work its way in? Like, how did, how did that really come about? Because that's what we all really know you for. There was a pivotal lunch that I had over a, a really great burrito in Fullerton, California called Taqueria de Ande. Tell and me, wait, pause. Tell me about this burrito. Cause you, I, I, you gotta go to Taqueria <laughs> de Ande. It's, it's the best meat that their, their sauces are killer. But, oh, um, you know, I had met someone, a YouTuber I looked up to named Freddie Wong and Brandon Lash. They have a channel or they had a channel uh, where they were making as well as me visual effects videos. And, uh, but they were, they were well ahead. I mean, they were millions of subscribers. I looked up to their, their content and what they were doing with their audience. And they took me out to lunch and they said, you know, Hey, right now you're mostly behind camera. Like I was barely at the time appearing in my videos and this is right before Vine started. And they were like, Hey, our recommendation, if we can give you any words of wisdom is put yourself in front of the video in, in front of camera. Even if you're like, I don't, I'm still not an actor. I don't want to be an actor. But they were like, it's going to watermark your stuff. Like, otherwise, the visual effects, like, all the artists can put out their work, but it's not, it's, there's no watermark to it. It's like, it can be stolen, it could be mm-hmm. um, passed around, and, and it's, you're not going to get attribution, and, and therefore, no one's going to, you know, be hiring you or know it's yours. So they were like, get yourself in front of camera. And that was really uncomfortable for me. Sometimes it still is. But it was really Why? uncomfortable for me Good to go. Good looking guy like you. How are you uncomfortable? Because Come on. I, I loved, it. in a way, being behind the scenes in the camera was my way of hiding. Like, I didn't want to. I, I loved being back and, and controlling the set from the behind the scenes right. side of things. But I, I, that's when Vine came out. And early and late in my YouTube channel, I, you eventually see me in front of camera. And, and it was also out of necessity. Like, when I would make these vines, sometimes it was one in the morning, my roommates were asleep, my girlfriend <laughs> wasn't there, like she couldn't hold the camera, I just had to set the camera down on tripod or, and, and there I am, you know, doing the action. And, and so I accidentally found myself on this side of the camera now, all these years <laughs> later. I love that. And, you know, how would you say you've, you've evolved as a creator? Because, you know, so much of what you do relies on you know the technology at hand so as you know i'm sure it becomes easier to sort of make these make these tricks and make these make these as seamless as possible but you know from from a creator standpoint from like a storytelling standpoint like how would you say you've evolved because now you know you're one of the top you're one of the most followed people on tiktok like you've got this insane social media following so you've only like grown and grown as more platforms have come out and you know over time so like in 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 that time that you've really grown to this like massive audience that you have, like how would you say you have grown as as a storyteller, as a creative? I have this idea that internally on my team we talk about creative momentum, and and that's what I've learned is that for so long I would look at these artists that I admire, or these writers, Stephen King, and you're like, how is he going away for a couple months, just coming out with? the next bestseller, how is he, how is he writing? How are these people, whether it was a filmmaker or an, a, a painter, it, like, it feels like there's a hidden secret that I didn't know. And they're, they're going away and then coming out of the woodwork or their little cave and months later with this incredible piece. And I'm like, what is, there's a mysterious muse that they're connected to or what is it? And I learned over the years, you know, 
after Vine took a massive rise for me and Instagram as well, I, I, I started having these nightmares, these, these dreams where I was out of ideas. And I always, mm. uh, that was my biggest fear is are, are my best ideas behind me? Is my greatest work already done and now I'm all downhill and I'll be known as the headlines will be Zach King, the, you know, uh, the guy that ran out of ideas. Like that was, that was my fear. And I think that's so many artists fears like, oh shoot, my best, I just made my best thing. And now I got to go make another one. (laughs) And, and I learned that that's one, that's not true, but in order to get over that, like I was doing these massive in 2017 through 2018, I wasn't posting that much. If you look in my feed, it's like maybe once one video a month. And it wasn't that these videos were hard to make. I mean, they were becoming difficult because I was in the mindset that I had to top myself over and over and over. I was like, well, that one was, it, we built a rotating room. So this time we have to go underwater. And, and after a while I psyched myself out and my team, we all psyched ourselves out. Like, well, we can only go like, okay, we can go to space and then we're kind of done. Like <laughs> the, we need to wait for the next idea. And I was waiting around for inspiration for like months on end. And I would, cause I wanted it to be perfect. But that idea of perfection was really holding me back. And so now over the years, we've developed a language on the team where we, when we talk about creative momentum, you know, we commit to two videos a week, no matter what we, we don't know the ideas necessarily going into that week. We don't know how we're going to pull off the ideas. We don't know what the story is going to be. And uh, it's really about us sitting down and committing to that goal and then making it. And so if you look at my feed now, it's interesting. Like when I, when I self kind of rate the pieces, some are average, some fall a little below average, but uh, there's also some really great gems in there too that I'm excited about. And, and I look at those and I, I say, you know, I don't think we would have gotten to all those great ideas without committing to creating all of it. And so it's a process and it's really believing that your best work is ahead of you. You just, you have to work a lot harder now to, to get them. That's, that's one thing that I love about this sort of creator economy with people, you know, TikTok stars, Instagram stars, because it's almost like just you're constantly putting out like rough drafts. I, actually, I was just talking about this with Wayne Brady and he was saying like that's why he loved. He was he sort of turned his nose up at YouTubers and stuff like that. He's like, oh, I, you know, I'm a trained actor. That, that's not creativity. That's not, you know, creating. But then he's like, no, I fell in love with it because you can just sort of like get out an idea. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just sort of like it's just kind of pushing out all this creativity and you know you like you said like you will the whole objective is you know you're going to reach that really great one and it's okay to have things you know <laughs> posts that aren't as great as that great one it's just all part of the process so that's such a i love i love that you said that because i think that that's something that i personally struggle with like i put so much pressure on myself of like okay this thing that i have to write has to be amazing it has to be the best thing that i've written when sometimes it's just about like pushing through and just getting something out there that you're proud enough of but it doesn't have to be like the next like you know it doesn't have to be like my shit do my like my masterpiece (laughs) of life but you know so I, i would love to hear about what is that sort of ideation process for your videos because you know i think you there there are some you obviously play around like perspective you have like sort of like your your kind of handbag of tricks so to speak Mm -hmm. and so how do you sort of build stories around that because you know they're all rooted in everyday life everyday situations and so what i would love if you can sort of like walk me through your creative process for coming up with with some of these with some of these videos so yeah so every week on on monday we have a writing room and it works tip very close to a regular TV show where you'd actually nice. sit down, you'd have a writing room, you pitch ideas, 
And so to be in the writing room, everyone has to pitch three ideas as minimum. They don't have to be fully baked, but they're usually in the form of a note card and we will physically place them out on the table and talk about them. And uh, you know, now with uh, this time, we're doing them all on Google Slides. So it's like, you have to have three slides with ideas and, and we talk about them. And I think a big part of the creative language that you have to, you know, for my team, I, I get a lot of credit for the videos because I'm the face, but there's 25 people on my team who help make these possible. And when we talk about the language of ideas, it's, it's knowing that our job when we show up on Monday is to make the best idea possible, to get to the very best idea all the way through to when it's posted. And so we're not belittling the person. We're, we're really just carving away at that, that idea. And so the goal is when we get to that writing room on Monday, we're able to walk away with the two videos we're going to be making. You know, we're in a more of a rolling cycle, so we're not working that week, but maybe they're, they're coming out in a month from now. So we're working on the next two videos we're going to shoot next week or in the week prior. So we walk out with two to four ideas fully, fully baked. But it's Monday is my favorite day because it's, it's a leap of faith day. We don't know what, like when I wake up Monday, <laughs> it's, you could be making any video that next week. You have no idea. I could wow. be hanging from from a crane 70 feet up, like making it look like I'm floating <laughs> on an umbrella or I'm doing some crazy fire stunt with David Blaine. Like it's just, it's random. And, and, and that's, <laughs> that's also like one reason I love this field so much is, is it's never the same work day. But right. we show up Monday and it's a leap of faith because while we commit to these two to four ideas, they're not fully baked. They're not completely done. You don't know how their trick's going to be engineered. You don't know how you're going to pull this thing off. You don't know what the budget's going to be yet. But we commit to like, there's an idea here. Now we go mock it up. And I think this is the most important part of our stage. It's around that end of day Monday or Tuesday that our producers and I are, we're all mocking up with the trick engineers, how we're going to pull this thing off. So we're physically grabbing a camera. It doesn't have to be, you know, we're not setting up on the red at this point, like the production. This is like grab your phone and go shoot it and block it. Let's like get everyone to visualize this idea. We skipped the, we used to do a lot of storyboards, but we found in our stuff, it's too slow. Like people can't fully picture it. And we're like, we could, you could literally just grab your phone and take photos or, or do a video mock-up. Mm -hmm. And then we, we have, you know, um, like a, a Slack on our team where we'll post some of these and, uh, and everybody who, who it's great to have people who don't know the concepts and that group, you know, will be like, well, I don't understand. Like, what's this about? Or like, oh, the, oh I thought you were going to go here with the trick. And so we get mm -hmm. a lot of iteration and feedback loops really quickly, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then by Thursday, Friday, we're either shooting that video or we're, we're prepping it for the next week to make it possible. So it's, and then we do that rinse and repeat, you know, over and over. That's awesome. And I think I've always find it interesting when you when you know you're you're talking about artists that sort of build a team around them to help like handle the work. I mean, we see this in in like the art space with you know people like Damien Hirst and Takashi Murakami and even like James Patterson, the author, has like a team of writers, but it's still his name you know on the book. And I'm I would love to hear from you. I mean, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you ever feel that? Or do you ever worry that you're not as close to every step of the process as you were, say, in the beginning? Because I think, you know, the bigger your team gets, it's, you know, obviously you have more followers, more demand for, you know, feeding the, the, the insatiable beast that is the Internet, <laughs> like just feeding it content. But, I mean, I don't know if you ever, if you're ever concerned about, you know, being, getting a little too removed from, from the core of your work as your team grows. I, 
I, I probably used to have that fear. I don't anymore. And one realization I had was that my best work isn't just when I'm by myself, although I covet, you know, sometimes the idea of being a lone, lone wolf again, off on my own, creating on my own time and my own schedule. I, I really believe having a team of people when you, especially as, as you get closer and you figure out that great collaboration, it really is, you know, playing like jazz together. And I think it's something that you look at great bands. I often love that some of the best bands, the artists by themselves aren't necessarily great, but it's when they're combined together, they're greater than the, the pieces. So I, I really love playing jazz with my team and, and having that language. And it's, it's so important. Um, you know, I, I don't have a fear of being removed from the process because I really lean into the, the parts of the process I'm, I'm best at and that I do mm. add the most contribution. So that's in ideation. That's in, in really, you know, adding that extra 10%. But I think I'm guessing a lot of people who are afraid um, that they're being too far removed haven't either train their team or, or trusted their team to take on that responsibility. You know, I fully trust all the, the directors and producers and the writers on my team. And I know we could actually, besides I could show up the set, not know the concept. And this, this happens all the time and it was fully mm. their idea. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is better than what I could have dreamt up. So while, you know, while I get a lot of the facial recognition and credit, there is an entire group of masters working behind me. And I love that. And my, my biggest goal when I wake up and do work on the business, it's to go find people who are better than me, who are more creative, have a different creative outlook than me. We don't want to be a, a business that in a studio that always says, yes, that's Zach's idea. Let's go do that one. You know, I, I love that my team will flat out say like, uh, you know, that's not the, I, what about this? This is like, seems a little bit sharper. This is, this hits a little mm -hmm. better. I love that. Right. That collaboration is, is so important to me. Have you ever given any thought to taking what you do, all these, you know, really amazing, magical, whimsical moments and stretching it out into a larger narrative? You know, I'm thinking about, I don't know if you've seen Derek Delgadio's uh, Hulu special, but he's this illusionist who made this whole stage show basically talking about his life and identity. And it was really incredible and it was very insightful as well. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about what that would look like for you, like taking what you do and stretching it beyond just a couple of seconds. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the goal. And, and one of the dreams is to make longer form content that I think will have that element of, of magic or illusion or visual trickery that I'm known for. It's really finding the right s space for it and time um, creatively. You know, like you mentioned, there is this a little bit of feeding the beast um, that keeps the, the business going and pays the bills for our other creative endeavors. But we're also at a crux, like we've, we've been approached by all the, the networks and, and the streaming services and, and studios to develop something like that. And we have dabbled in, in those areas and took, taken on those conversations. And ultimately, that's again, a question of the creative control. It almost goes back to when I was taking that job at a possibly discovery years ago was who's financing it and where's the creative control gonna be? And um, we're at an interesting time where in our business, we're actually almost able to fund those independently. So the question is creatively what's being brought to the table by those studios. And it's not, it's not really a matter of distribution anymore. Um, we, don't have, we don't need 
to be on any of the streaming networks. We can we can do this on YouTube or on our other platforms. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do we want to finance this ourselves? So there's that while we're also now writing saying, well, is this worth, you know, taking the risk on ourselves or or getting mm-hmm. another partner? So it's very much that's that's like you're hitting on exactly what we're, now it's the fun playground that we're in right now. It's like, okay, sky's the limit a little bit on we've created this 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 character and what would we do with him and what worlds do we drop him into and how and it's Mm -hmm. really easy to to lengthen up these things because our our tricks are so short we always have internal um backstories and and like how we would add to them and what happened right before this so yeah that's very much up our our wheelhouse and coming out you know in the next couple years one thing i definitely wanted to ask you about is the fact that you often reveal your secrets a bit like you you post these behind the scenes clips of showing like how you do some of like the videos that people seem to like and love the most and that's something that a lot of i know you don't like to call yourself a magician but i mean like a lot of magicians like like to keep those close to their chest i mean everyone knows that it's you know digital manipulation and editing and things like that and and playing plays on perspective but i think some people might think like why like why would you give your secrets away? Like, you know, like, why not, why not, why not, why not keep some of that magic behind the gate a little bit? So like, I mean, why do you reveal your secrets? Casey, that is something I, one of my most thought of questions and for years we never did. This is, this is a, actually a recent thing in the last year we started revealing and I'm with you on, you know, a, a great magician, whether I'm one or not by definition, they don't reveal their secrets. You know, you would never tell how a trick is done. But part of the beauty, we, we had a, some new employees join the team a while back and when they walked in the studio, they, their jaws dropped and they go, wait, this is all for real? Like when you're jumping through a wall, you're really doing it. Wait, when the when you're climbing up a wall, like the room's actually rotating and you're in a 30 foot like mechanical rig, like we, people have to know this. like. Everyone thinks it's green screen and editing, which we, we, you know, we don't barely use green screen. It's practical. Like if I'm being, we have a video coming out soon that we just did where I, I've been enamored by quicksand and I always, I played my kid's sandbox at home and I was, I was thinking one day, like, it'd be so cool if I could turn that into quicksand and sink down. And so we built this, we figured out how to build like a nine foot hole underneath it and, and rigged up this rubber that opened up when I stepped on it, but closed when I, you know, went under so the sand could stay. But it's all practical and that, and so, you know, I, for years I would tell the team like, no, we're not filming behind the scenes. Uh, don't, we were never going to post this, like make sure it's closed social media on set. And we had somebody start filming behind the scenes and then they cut together for me and they just did a comparison. It was a side by side of like, here's, you know, they, they showed the final video and they showed the side by side and I watched it. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. Like people, and really it comes down to like. I love, I don't know who started the behind the scenes on the DVDs years ago when I was a kid, but somebody like some studio exec was like, let's start a special feature. When we release the DVD, it's got to have more stuff. Let's film behind the scenes. They started editing these, you know, even Lord of the Rings has like three or four hours per, per (laughs) film behind the scenes. I was just watching one last night and I'm so thankful for whoever made that decision to start that as a thing. That changed my trajectory even more into filmmaking because I got to see how it was done. I got to be told like, this is something you can do. It's not this big magical process that that's secret. And so for me, you know, while we're not revealing all the secrets, we're never going to tell you, you know, like for example, the editing techniques, like you can go figure that out on your mm-hmm. own. But for me, it's, it is showing like, you know what, this is actually really practical. 
and there are creative solutions to figure out how to do this. Like most people in that quicksand video would grab a green screen, have them animate down, keyframe a few, few frames and add a dust whoosh at the end. But for me, we want to go the extra step and follow up on that curiosity, curiosity and ask like, how could we do this for real? Like, how could we actually get all of this in camera and make it look great that way? Cause I also believe that's like the other thing I love about filmmaking is Jurassic Park. I saw those dinosaurs and even though they were making the rest of them in CGI, like most of the close-ups were real, like prosthetics and, and, and mm -hmm. amazing work by uh, ILM and, and it was like, I, I wanted to figure out how to do that. And uh, mm -hmm. so I love the practicality of filmmaking. That's, that's what we try to bring to it today. Almost that, you know, Charlie yeah. Chaplin, Buster Keaton using matte paintings and, and all of their miniatures totally. and, and rigging. It was, they had to figure out how to do it real. You know, I, I love right. this Buster Keaton trick where he disappears and it was actually behind a mirror. And like the fact that they were figuring that out, like a hundred years ago on film was just brilliant. Yeah. And one thing that I always love to ask of my guests is, you know, in thinking of all all the all the things that we were talking about and just where you're at in your career right now, how have you come to define creativity? Oh, that's such a, a beautiful, rich question with so many answers. So I save it to the end always. <laughs> There's I mean, when I look at the creative process, it's about birthing an idea, a, a new idea into the world. Your your version of an idea. It doesn't have to be original, but it's your version. But ultimately, I wonder if creativity is about following up on your curiosity, if it's in actually executing on it. And I, I say follow up because I think a lot of people have these ideas. They wonder, oh, what would it be like if, if you, you drove an all electric car? And then, you know, that's a nice idea. They never do anything. But to really pursue it the next, well, how would you do that? Oh, so well, what would it take to build batteries that need to be, you know, like it's following up on that curiosity, which usually involves some sort of execution and making and I think that's where the magic of creativity is. I love that. No, that's, that hits the nail on the head. And I'm very guilty of having a million ideas and executing on only about two. So I will take that as a person. I won't take that as an impersonal attack. I'll take that as, you know, a gentle nudge from you to <laughs> me to like, you know, get it together. Because I, it, that's something that I always get stuck with is just that have so many things like floating around in my head that I want to do, but you're totally right in that it's, you can have all the ideas in the world, but like what good are they if you don't actually put them out into the world? So, ah, God, all right. Making me feel what, bad. I, know, what, what to, I think about it all the time. Like what a shame. How many great ideas are dying with, with the person in the grave? You know, if, yeah. if only they had, yeah. if you had been executed, that would be, the world would be so much richer. All right. Well, I'm going to go I'm going to go try to make the world a little bit more uh, a little richer with them with these ideas that I have. You have a really large head start of me because you're doing amazing work and I thank you so much for this conversation, Zach. This was wonderful. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you because like I said, I've been following your work for so long and yeah, you're 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 definitely doing amazing work. So, well, thank you. Keep it thank up, you, man. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. We've got some really amazing episodes coming up, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. See you soon.